650 KSTE Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash Daily Garden Tips, lots of retweets and snark, and the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there is always a garden dialogue going on where you can find uh, pictures and charts about the latest find of Asian citrus psyllids in our area. They found one in Roseville, and now there's a quarantine zone. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, we, since we have a nursery person here, that'd probably be a good topic to talk about sometime between now and noon, as well as talking about whatever is on your gardening mind, maybe heat-related garden problems. There are holes in the leaves. We, we could, what was that voice? Problems on the fruit. It's Don oh, Shore lack from, of fruit. from Redwood Barn Nursery good in morning, Davis. Fred. He's here. Uh we're going to talk about a lot of things and, of course, answer the questions at 576-1578 in the 916 or outside the area, 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Answering the phones today, pushing the buttons, wondering wondering about life in general, Mike Murray is here. If anything goes wrong in this building, we blame Mike. But he fixes it. So that's a good thing. Air conditioning is working, so we're fine. <laughs> in okay, we're not complaining it's at all. It's working in here. We're fine, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right now, 90 degrees in Sacramento. Already. Oh and it's goodness. 10 a.m. Yeah. Going to get warm. up to 102, 103. There is a heat advisory posted. But this so is a short early. one. Two to three day thing. This is not another week of, of blindingly hot weather. It's mm-hmm. going to cool off pretty dramatically into next week down into the low 90s. <laughs> yeah, and then probably back up. <laughs> Who knows? What What's uh, killing us today is the higher humidity levels. Yeah, we're not here. used to that here. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I have a friend in La Jolla, California, which is where I grew up, and he sent a note saying, Don, it's 80 degrees down here and people are miserable. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I, my daughter lives in Ventura, and yeah. I hear that too. She Eighty can't, degrees. She can't take anything can't cope. over eighty-five. Or I said, so. do they have do they have cooling stations set up? Yeah. <laughs> to give you an idea of how heat does affect different people, I remember one time we were on a little car trip, and we were in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, hmm. which uh, I think in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan they have two seasons: they have summer in August and winter, and that's yeah. it. You know, that's about it. And we're driving through there in July, and it was like 85, 88 degrees and kind of humid. And on the radio, we were listening, and they were closing the schools down early because, <laughs> because of, of the, the heat. heat. Yeah, well, because of the heat. Not adapted yeah. to it. I was in the Willamette Valley one time, and it was in the 90s. And I was commenting on how lovely it was because mm-hmm. I had just left Sacramento where it was 106. And the comment by the waitress was, you should come back when we're not having a heat wave. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. And, well, we'll uh, answer your gardening and heat-related questions here at the at Get Growing. Yeah. And uh, everything related to it has to do with watering more than likely. We'll have a garden grappler a little bit later on as well. We're going to talk with a, a veterinarian as well a little bit later on about poisonous plants and your pets mm. and also other household poisons that you may have around that are very hazardous to your pets. And we get a preview of the bromeliad and the carnivorous plant show that's coming to the Shepherd Garden and Art Center next weekend. Oh my! So we'll—that's one of the most colorful shows going in our I think, area. I think this weekend is the iris exchange. Iris rhizomes. And next, next weekend, carnivorous th- plants. That okay. doesn't really qualify as a pretty garden show. No. No, but it's an easy plant to grow, let me tell you. I know some folks that are active in that one. They gave me a few rhizomes last year, some incredible new hybrids, and they were pretty astounding. I'm slowly getting hooked back into irises, which I went went through an iris collection phase about 30 years ago, and then finally, the fact they only bloom, you know, three weeks or so of the year, 
All right, I phased him out. Well, you know, I've got the bug again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll get over it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're incredibly easy, I've got to say. I mean, and then they're kind of thing when you're done with them. You just give them to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going there. Because most people know my feelings about irises. They're fun to photograph, very fragrant, and a good beginner's perennial. If you have a horseshoe pit, it's a wonderful plant for in the middle. Because <laughs> when the horseshoes land on it, it's no big deal. Doesn't hurt it. Yeah. All right, I got a question for you. I saved this one for this show, not for the last show. You have moved from mm. the country yes. into town. You're a city yes. slicker now. From 10 acres to a quarter acre. No, it's just the start of peach harvest, plum harvest. Oh, I just... Shut up. Okay, so Just my question, my question was, what yeah. do you miss most about moving away from the farm and into town? One thing I miss the most is actually the vistas, the views. Ah. Because when you're out in the country, yeah. you've got a 360-degree view of the horizon. Wide you open. see the mountains to the east, you see the sunset in the west, mm-hmm. and now I see homes. Okay. Basically. But you can still get fresh fruit. You know, there's farmer's markets. We You've got go friends to the and Folsom neighbors. Farmer's Market yeah, every yeah, Saturday, yeah. and it's still not as good as homegrown. Well, and you know, the other thing, you have the, the anticipation. I mean, if nurseries yeah. wouldn't exist if it wasn't for folks who were planning new gardens, which is yeah. the stage you're at right now. Right. It's exciting. I'm building this. I'm figuring out what fruit trees to plant. The anticipation is, is probably more exciting than the fruit itself in some cases. Which, uh, which of the fruit do you really wish you could just be walking out there picking right now? The flavor supreme pluot. Ah, okay. Right now. Yep. Right now. Yep. Right now. Should have brought some for you. <laughs> now, and then, now, what does Baldo do on his Facebook page? Mm-hmm. Our friend Baldo, he's yep. posting pictures every day of him eating fresh fruit from right. his garden. Yeah, I could do that too. Yeah. And it's like, so now here's stop. the. All right, let's turn this around. What do you miss the least? Field mowing. Ah, okay. <laughs> which goes yeah. on every day from March through June. Relentless. Yes, yes yeah. it is, okay. and it's uh, it's a dangerous pastime Keep, as well. Keeping up with the the overgrowth, yeah. and the weeds, and the things like yeah, that. I yeah, I'd agree with that. That's the a, other thing I don't miss at all: swimming pool maintenance. Hmm. I, I, Never had that. So yeah, yeah they're a money pit. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're at a certain age and you don't have little kids uh, that love pools. Uh, it's a money pit, and it's uh, thousands of dollars a year just to maintain it, and um, for you know really a couple of months of enjoyment. Yeah. And so the open sky, the vistas, yes. the, the privacy of having you know, oh, yeah. an open, open air. Exactly, right. and, and the ability to plant whatever I wanted, wherever I well, wanted. Well, that's one of the things. I and mean, that's, I, that was my downfall. Yeah, I live out <laughs> in the country. I mean, I'm on 13 acres, and if there's a new fruit variety my customers are asking about, it, well, I better put one of these in, yeah. see whether I like it, and I can always rip it out later. That's the part I don't usually get around to. But, you know, people <laughs> yeah. are asking me about European green gauge plum, and I've yeah. never actually had one. But why I'll not? plant one, see how it yeah. does. It may yeah. not be, I don't, you know, if you're limited for space, you wouldn't do that. You'd plant the best plum you're choosing what five fruit trees yeah your favorites that are going to be the only fruit trees you have or you're going to use multi-graft or exactly something like that. i do have two multi uh, you know, and i'm sitting there thinking well this is a late season plum i'll see whether it's any good whether yeah. i can tell my customers that it's any good yeah, yeah. so it's a uh, yes yeah, so i'm but i mean it's exciting dealing now with a brand new landscape yeah and we ripped everything out, literally everything out, and started That's the best over. way to go. I've had yeah. customers who buy into a new, a, a used home, <laughs> an older home with a landscape, and they and they would contact us to consult with them on it. And they'd want to save this and save that. And I'd say, well, that's that's cool if these have some heritage to them. Mm-hmm. If this tree is of value or if this shrub is something that fits into your new landscape. But in general, it's probably better to just kind of start over. Yeah. It's also easier because you can use a bobcat. 
But with a <laughs> yes. he's getting there with a bulldozer. <laughs> but with a bare landscape, I was telling my neighbors next door yesterday, and I probably used the wrong phrase to describe <laughs> it because they were admiring my new blank mulched beds out right, front. Right. And uh, he said, "It looks kind of nice that way." I go. That's a gardener's wet dream. Right. Is, is having that blank palette yeah. or having now you can that fill canvas yeah. with, with the paint next to it ready for you to create. Yeah, I'd be already planning in my mind which salvia is going to go where and where the penstem and midnight is going to be. Well, and, Don, if you yeah. were still married, you'd be arguing about what plants to <laughs> put right. in. I wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, you, you, you would then we really come into negotiations. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's the stage we're at now. But we are holding Oh, I deal off. with that quite regularly, yeah. yes. I, I often like to joke when I'm standing where the customers who are going back and forth, they say, we don't really do this kind of counseling, but we're happy to help you with your plant selections. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 We, uh, it, you just deal with it, you know? And, and one thing we are doing is negotiating now and planting later. We're not going to plant until the fall. A lot of things, sure. Because it's too hot to plant now. You can plant now. Oh, if you wish. But if you don't, if you have the choice, it, it'd be better to wait when the days are cooler, mm-hmm. but the soil is still warm, mm-hmm. and the plant has a better chance of adapting to its new home. I consider October a great month for planting, especially if you're going to use natives or low water plants, right. which are a little more vulnerable to overwatering. Yes. yes, you can plant through the summer. Obviously, nurseries sell through the summer. Landscapers continue planting through the summer. I plant all summer long, but the the two to four week period right after planting, the aftercare that you give them is crucial. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if someone has special ordered something from me and they're coming in to pick it up and then they say, now we're going to be gone for three weeks, I will almost always say, how about if we hold that for you until you get back? Because honestly, I'd rather hold it at my store than have them put it in and count on the automatic sprinkler system to keep it watered while they've gone to Germany or whatever. Yeah. Uh, this sprinkler system doesn't know when we have a week of 109 degree weather or when we get a cool windy spell. Well, the newer um, control boxes do. Yeah, they usually don't have those, but you're right. Those those do exist. Right, those yes. smart meters, the smart timers out there. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that will change their watering habits based on the temperature and also if it's raining or not. But a, which is pretty unlikely. But a, yeah. a newly planted plant needs a little different level of attention. Yeah. Speaking of that, July, I just pulled up the typical July conditions. Average high in July is 93. Mm-hmm. Average low is 58. <laughs> yeah. Record high 114. Average rainfall for those of you listening to the podcast of this show in other parts of the country 0.05 inches. Mm-hmm. And the average number of cloudy days in July here is one. Zero? Oh, one. One, one. one day. Okay. Yeah, today. All right. This morning. Don Shore is here, in case you can't tell, from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll answer your questions. 576-1578 in the 916-866-331-8255. Email. Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. It's the... Where am I? The Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. <laughs> You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. My guest today, Don Shore from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis that I believe is open today, noon to 5. 12 to 5, correct. I will be there. You will be there. Yes. Watering your plants. We will be watering for sure, yes. Yes, on a day like today. Um, I have a lot of questions for you. Okay, So so do a lot of people walking in right now. See, I sit in the corner downstairs. My desk is over in the corner. Mm -hmm. I'm there to answer questions, and the staff deals with people and does their best to intercept them before they, you know, come over to my desk, (laughs) see if they can answer them first, and then when they can't, they bring them over to me. And I can tell you that the two categories of questions we're getting the most right now are, why are the leaves on my plant fried? 
uh, well, you know, they're watering related heat yeah. stress or or you name it. And what are what's making all these holes in the leaves or flowers or whatever? Uh, holes in the leaves, mysterious holes appearing in the leaves of, let's see, I jotted down mint, walnuts, tomatoes, geraniums, also petunias and mm-hmm. calabrocoa, yeah. and rosebush. Now, that last one, I shall tell you, is a little bit of a ringer. All yep. the others had the same general family of pest. I'm not too worried about semicircular holes on the edge of rose leaves. Right. Because that's was a leaf pretty, cutter bee. It, it was impressive how much had been taken off. But yeah, that's the it's still, they're making their nest. Alfalfa leaf cutter bee. It goes yeah. on for several weeks and through the month of July and into August. And yeah, they're making, they're lining their nest with it. They're yeah. a solitary bee. They're not aggressive. You hardly ever see the bee, actually. And they're probably living in bamboo stakes or in our nursery. They're living in the siding on the wall or in stumps or old, uh, you know, old trunks of old trees, things like that. They're one of those bees that's beneficial and out there and not native, but uh, beneficial. But those other holes, I would look under the underside of the leaf to see if I see a little worm. Lepidoptera. Yeah, yeah. almost all of them. The mint was interesting. I, uh, every year someone brings in a case they have mint running all over their yard, which it does, and now something is eating it. I thought, well, that's not entirely bad. bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what they find is little inchworm, little caterpillar, yeah. appears to be host-specific to mint or its relatives. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've seen it on sage, which is related to mint. And really the simple solution on that one is just cut the whole thing the whole mint plant wherever it's run in your yard to the ground you won't kill it i guarantee put all that stuff in a bag get rid of it uh so it goes away with the trash or i suppose you could compost it but you're taking away all the young and all the the eggs and generally that breaks up the cycle that's all you need to do and the next flush that comes out will be unaffected but on the caterpillars on the geraniums petunias and calabrocoa those budworms geranium budworm is a there's at least 10 generations of those here in the sacramento valley i get all these trade publications as a nurseryman of you know the latest caliber coa look at this incredible color and i just look at it and go caterpillar food as far as i'm yeah. concerned you have to spray every week or two with something now there are organic sprays that do work pretty like well bt bt bacillus thuringiensis dipel yeah. they're all the same thing yeah. they they will kill the younger caterpillars right. they don't do a great job on the older ones so if it's not working then you might want to move up to spinosad or another organic spray but or scissors or actually i do suggest just cutting them back and yeah. again disposing of it and that can yeah. break up the cycle i have a lot of customers who just think geraniums only bloom in the spring uh, because they bloom and then the blooms stop. And if they looked closer, they'd realize it's not that they're stopping, they're getting eaten. So that's the geranium budworm. Foliage disappearing from the tomato plant. Well, that one is is funny when people finally find the culprit. Follow the poop. Right. Look at, look at the pellets and yeah. look up. And for a long time, for probably a decade, we didn't have people complaining about this particular yeah. pest. It seemed to have almost disappeared from the valley. And then about a year or two ago, people started coming in with the problem again. Whole branch defoliated. Uh, big pellets of what appeared to be yes. poop on the leaves below. So look up, you'll find this thing at some point. It'll You'll jump back when you do because it's, what, three inches long. Yeah. has a little horn on the back. It's a tomato hornworm. That turns into a very, very large moth. And they are back. I they have, like peppers, uh, too. They, they prefer tomatoes. Yeah. They'll wander onto your peppers. I've seen the meat eggplant. They like members of the nightshade family, okay. but of course they prefer tomatoes. They can eat a lot of foliage yeah. in a very short period. The simple way to deal with them, pick them off, throw them over the fence into the neighbor's yard. If you have chickens, I do not. Wait a minute, I got to clarify. <laughs> Neighbors, Don Shore said that I didn't say that. Okay, <laughs> it right. works like a charm. Okay. And what was the other one? The other was the uh, oh, the walnuts, cherries, red buds. We can talk about that one in a minute. All That's right. the red hump caterpillar. 
again, clip off the whole leaf and put it in the trash. Well, there's a whole branch there, yeah. and that one you might want to spray for it. Just trying to decide if how they're bad small. It is. You kind of decide yeah. how. Yeah, you got to spray with BT when the when they're young. So. All right, back to the phones we go. Phil in Moraga. Oh no, Phil, what's oh. up? Hey, Phil. I just I'm, I'm just I'm amused about so to get a hornworms over the fence. My neighbors would love that. Yeah, it's the easiest thing in the world. Just pitch them over the oh, fence. Oh my God. Okay, <laughs> um, real quick, I called about pine beetle. Um, one of our favorite gas and electric companies is donating a bunch of dead pine trees that are going to be taken up to a Burning Man to be burned in a different state. Yes. And I'm not sure how to approach this because I don't think that's very appropriate. I don't know if it's legal. Hmm. Good question. You should consult an arborist on that because my question would be whether anything would be transmitted. Now, Burning Man, there's no... There's nothing there. Foliage there, there. Yes. so I'm not real concerned about an infestation occurring. The beetles are not going to crawl mm. across the desert and attack a, uh, a nearby pine tree, because the nearest pine tree, if I recall, is pretty far away. Yeah. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of any real concern with that particular movement of wood from one place to another. However, for listeners in the Bay Area, uh, sudden oak death is a concern, and you don't want to be moving mulch or debris from an area where a tree has been taken down because of it so you need to ask well you don't want to incorporate it into another area right yeah. you want you want to be cautious about that pines yeah. are not an issue with that but i i don't think taking it to burning man is any particular concern because that's the dry desert of wherever it is uh black rock <laughs> desert yeah. yeah not much going on there vegetation wise curious yeah, you'd be surprised wait yeah. till the end of this thing they're all vegetables <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, have a good day. Have a beautiful afternoon. All right. Thanks for calling, I guess. Um, Yeah. This is a big problem throughout the state right now is transporting plant material hither and yon. We are seeing this is the reason the Asian citrus psyllid is spreading. We're seeing it as the reason for a lot of pests are being introduced into California. It's always been a problem. We have 20, south the north. 27 or so different quarantines in the state of California right now for different things. Yeah. My nursery alone, like every retail nursery, is presently in two or three where they have traps in my tree and someone from the ag department comes around and monitors them. Right. I'm in Yolo County, where I am. We're not presently in the Asian citrus psyllid quarantine area, but However, Solano I County your... is. I mean, it's, yeah. So you sell citrus? trees yes and they have tags on them they do they come in they've been treated um, because of this concern and because the citrus growers are selling to areas that are and are not quarantined generally speaking the ones i'm ordering from are treating them to be compliant Mm -hmm. with the quarantine even when they're shipping to a district that is not in the quarantine if you come to my nursery and i don't have something you drive down the highway to a nursery in dixon or vacaville and you buy it there and you take it back to your home in davis you've just violated the quarantine because solano county is in it yolo county is not try and force that would you it's impossible then and a lot of citrus are sold at the bigger chains where, you know, like Home Depot and such, where they're in the quarantine district. The way to manage this seems to be really at the wholesale level and just going ahead and treating them. If you want to buy an organically grown citrus, you're out of luck because that's just not going to happen at this point. But the biggest concern is people bringing fruit leaves trees back from visiting mm. great aunt Minnie in mm. los angeles right. and bringing it up through, through the valley and imp- importing either the citrus psyllid itself or, or even the disease worse, or the disease yeah. the disease is only present in a couple places in the state but it's a huge concern mm. it's in and southern the, california yeah in ventura and also no, it's uh, not ventura of, it's only in, uh, in los, los angeles, angeles and yeah. orange county right thank you right and, um, um 56 the, hlb the psyllid, infected trees psyllid itself is now in northern california it's yeah. lodi you know solano 
County. They're only finding one Roseville. or two here. They found one in Roseville. One. Right. But they so, still, and that means spraying within a 50-meter radius of that tree right. of any other susceptible varieties. And right. it's not just citrus. There's a few other, there's other varieties, host, like host the choices as well. Yeah, there's other host plants that we're mm-hmm. concerned about. So nurseries, you know, bona fide nurseries manage this, and we deal with quarantines all the time. What should the tags say, or what should people look for when they go to a nursery to make sure that the citrus tree they are buying has been inspected? There will be a blue tag on it from uh, the grower uh, is what you look for. And you should ask the nursery mm-hmm. personnel. I strongly encourage you to do this. Are you in a quarantine district? Where did these come from? But it'll be on the tag. It'll be right there on the plant. Right. And that's the main thing. Um, it, don't go to an area where they don't ever buy a, a citrus from someone who is a backyard grower. Don't bring branches up from, you know, the only way you should transport citrus at all is in the form of juice. Is what yeah, I like to say. Basically, if yeah. you go down and your your grandma's got the best orange tree in the backyard you've ever had in your house, and she wants to give you a lug of oranges to carry back up after the holidays, juice them there and bring the juice and leave the rinds and everything behind. The reason the state is so gung ho on stopping the spread of the Asian yeah. citrus psyllid, it has decimated the Florida citrus industry Completely. and is adversely affecting the Texas citrus industry. Yes. And back in a time when it was introduced, they weren't that concerned about it until too late, until the disease manifested itself. It's kind of latent in the tree for a while before yeah. they know it what the problem is. Yeah, it takes years. Yeah, and now they know, I mean, 80% yeah. of the trees. So that's Florida, why California is so. trying to get ahead of the problem right. and keep HLB, the disease, one lung bing, out of California. Right. We need to take a break. More of Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. Bye. That's something we should talk about. Welcome back to the program, Fred here. And as Don Shore would say, that's something we should talk about. And we will after we talk with Don in Carmichael. What are we going to talk about? Don in Carmichael, hi. Hi, Fred. Hi, Don. Hello. What's up? I have, I'm growing tomatoes this year. I bought three three seed packets over to Amy Hardware mm-hmm. just because they look good on the picture. And um, we can't, that's all, a good... of them, all three of them are... Um, well, they're about they're a little bigger than a golf ball, but um, they're, 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 the skins are tough. What variety? Well, one of them is a burpee um, lawn keeper. Hmm. All right. Another one is a tomato pole money maker. Money maker. Hmm. And then another tomato pole red Siberian. Red Siberian. Okay. Red Siberian is a short season tomato. Yeah. That's um, I am not familiar with Moneymaker. And Old English heirloom greenhouse variety. Moneymaker? Yeah. Okay. It says right here. Greenhouse variety with four to six ounce fruit that are intensely red, smooth, and of very high quality. How are they doing for you? Tough skin, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it grows well in humid climates and greenhouses. I, I grew Burpee Longkeeper for, I think, two years and never grew it again because it, it's kind of a joke. I'm well, sorry. that was one they were selling yeah. for the purpose of getting a late crop off it that you right. could then store right. in the house right. and keep going. So none of those three would be my first choice for a tomato yeah. to grow. There's nothing wrong with trying new varieties. I do yeah. all the time. But you should have an early girl and a... Uh, you know, uh, something oh, in there. A better next, boy, maybe yeah. a, a bush beefsteak yeah, or some, a something big reliable. Beef, something for a and I, and smaller my, one. There'd be no beefsteak in my garden. But well, that, whatever. <laughs> All right. Anyway, but, uh, tough skins. What what causes tough skin? Is it a varietal issue? A, it is varietal, yeah. yes. Actually, oftentimes having a tougher skin is something that's considered a good market quality because it'll keep the plant, the fruit yeah. in better condition And that for sounds shipping. like moneymaker. Right. So yeah. I think you may have just inadvertently gotten varieties that naturally have tougher skin. I have some, like Lemon Boy's got a tougher skin. Mm-hmm. That's why it's still hanging on there 
there at, no, at Thanksgiving. Uh, so that that does enhance its marketability, but not necessarily a great home garden variety. Well, and, and the, the other side of that coin is the fact that there are some heirloom varieties uh, that have such thin skin. Yeah. If you wait until after they're really at their peak, they're mush. You're talking about Castelluto Genovese again. I am. I am. I'm looking at you, Don. <laughs> yes, 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 I recommended talking about Castelluto so, Genovese. So I think what you got was three varieties there that are more market-type tomatoes, greenhouse tomatoes, and that may be why you're getting the tougher skin on them. Well, if something's going to be a winter keeper like that burpee, whatever it Long was. keeper, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be one that's going to have a tougher, more resistant, waxy skin that's going to hold yeah. up better. So that may be good if you want to store some. You know, keep, mm-hmm. them, keep them on the counter for a week or two after you pick them. But it is going to be sort of an undesirable characteristic for your sandwich. And by the way, there are various shades of green at the end of the season when it comes to tomatoes. And when yeah. you want to pick those for long-term storage... They have to have a hint of red to them. Right. A totally green tomato. I don't even care. I don't care what Longkeeper says. <laughs> if you pick them and they're totally green, they're not going to ripen. But, you, you, they need to have a hint of red to them. But you've got a, an opportunity here to try this. This is, this is one that it was really introduced, and I think this other one, the Moneymaker, also for, you know, for the fresh market trade. Um, grow them as long into the season as you can. You might yeah. be the one on your block that's still got nice fresh tomatoes in your Thanksgiving dinner table. There you go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let us know. Well, one thing about the, the, these plants, they, they're, 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 foliage is very sparse. Interesting. Well, huh. uh, some tomatoes are kind of thin and wispy foliage. Yeah. Are you growing them in the ground? I, I suppose we should have started with that. These are in the ground. In and the sun. In the sun, they're growing well. It's a normal garden well, condition. Uh, I, I've, got, I've got both. I've got three pots uh, mm-hmm. in the, uh, three, three, pots, three pots with uh, one each. Right. And then uh, they're, they're, that foliage there is really nice. It's good and lush, and the foof really fills out. But the ones in the ground are are sparse. Yeah. Is that ones in the ground in the shade? No. Okay, they're in that may be on. a difference of nitrogen because in the yeah. pots you're probably using potting soil and it had some nice. food in it. Nice uh, and in the soil. ground you probably needed a little extra nitrogen. I would go ahead. I don't usually push this, but I would go ahead and fertilize the ones in the ground with whatever fertilizer you like to use. Uh, and I'll bet you you'll get some nice growth on them now, and they'll set well, so you'll be sure to have those Thanksgiving dinner table tomatoes. Okay? <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Yep. Remember, Don said that, not me. Okay. okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Don. You know, Thank can, you for your help. Yeah. All right. It can be really hard going through all those catalogs, figuring out which tomato to grow. And this is uh, something we, of course, a retailer, we do all the time, yeah. is help people make these decisions. They're marketing to the whole country. And I'm not saying Amy Hardware is, obviously, but the seed racks, in some cases, the varieties that are on there may not be completely, well, they wouldn't be my first choice. I wouldn't hesitate to try something new. I tell any of my customers who are traveling, bring me back some a pack of tomato seeds wherever yeah. you go. I don't care because I'm always curious. You brought me some from Turkey. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was great. It was fun. Yeah. It actually grew really well. But I would definitely have some tried and true varieties out there for the Sacramento Valley. And you have lots of resources. I mean, I have lists. Fred has lists. Master Gardeners have lists. Uh, wherever you are listening to us, there are people who say these are the five, the ten varieties mm-hmm. that just do well consistently. Let me ask you this. Are you carrying um, Brad Gates' uh, family of uh, wild boar tomatoes? This oh, year? yes. Yeah, okay. we carried them. And we've and I've been growing them out five to ten at a time, and I've mm-hmm. had very good results with most of them. And some of them, uh, some years, I'll, you know, I'm yeah. trying them for a couple couple years running some of his brad has been on your show brad has got these amazing open pollinated modern varieties which is a 
Not what he calls the modern day heirlooms. That's a good way to put it. I mean, heirlooms were open pollinated. Those are old tomatoes you had before all the hybrids came along, and he's created this new category. I'm getting very good feedback on most of them. Every year, you'll get some one variety of whatever that just doesn't do well. But for example, his Michael Pollan, phenomenal Mm. producer, Berkeley Uh, tie dye. Yeah, that one people ask about, and it's you know it's got it's interesting. It's a fascinating fruit. I would not fill your garden with just those either. I wouldn't fill your garden with just heirlooms Mm -hmm. either. Oh, definitely, yeah, because those are they don't generally have the disease resistance. Uh, so I would definitely always tell people, just like in your investment portfolio, diversify. Make sure you've got some hybrids. Uh, you know, we've all got our favorites, better boy, champion, early girl. Get a few heirlooms that have been tested in this area. The thing about heirlooms, they're mostly not from here. They're not from the West Coast. Most of your really well-known heirloom tomatoes, like Brandywine, it's from the Brandywine Valley of Pennsylvania. If you like two tomatoes a year. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> two really big, yeah. really good tomatoes. Yeah. Amish paste, on the other hand, has done very well for me. So All you've right. got to try them. Well, let's simplify it for the folks. If you're starting off a tomato garden for the first time, mm-hmm. what are your training wheel tomatoes for this area? Sun gold, absolutely. As a cherry tomato. Yeah, as a okay. cherry tomato. A juliet, if you just want another small fruited one that is absolutely reliable. Mm-hmm. Anybody listening anywhere can grow juliet, honestly. Yeah. I'm actually calling it my empty nester tomato. Because <laughs> twice I had customers who told me they're downsizing. Yeah. They just want to grow one. Well, plant a juliet. And that's a grape-sized tomato. Right, it's a small one. Yeah. Early Girl and Champion are two very reliable hybrids. On the heirloom category, I've done very well with Mortgage Lifter. I love Costoluto Genovese. Well, it's a big Italian heirloom. But no, the training wheels are off that variety softens very quickly no. um so there's and i've got this list on my website of the ones that i've done but you've got to get some hybrids out there and you've got to yeah. and if it's a young family coming in they've never planted a vegetable garden i make absolutely sure they walk out with at least one cherry tomato because for one thing kids love them the other they're going to produce almost no matter what they think they have sun it turns out they only get two hours of sun well you know what a cherry tomato is going to produce there and then uh you know if you if you like to cook with them roma or some of the the sauce or paste type tomatoes or julia's a good, good substitute for yeah, Juliet's yeah. extremely. I reliable. like the sweet million as a cherry tomato mm-hmm, sure, for a, for a main season tomato for early, red, yeah. early girl. Yep. Uh, for a beef steak, I like big beef. I've had good luck with that year after year after year. In that year. category, yeah. I mean, that's one. That, and I, for example, the brandy wine we talked about not being reliable here, mm-hmm. but I've had good years with brandy boy, which is yeah. a hybrid. Burpee has done this thing where they're hybridizing heirlooms with you know with with better ones to get more consistent the reliability. Super whopper, the super whopper, <laughs> the brandy boy, all that crowd, and they tend tend to do better than the heirloom that they started with, yeah so. go with the tried and true folks all right we have to and, take a break and try something new try something yeah new exactly yeah. yeah mix in something new every year yeah and uh go with like three dependables and, and two mysteries excellent all right and then 25 others <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wish i wish all right we'll take a break for news when we come back it's garden grappler time a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the farmer fred prize closet Clue available at FarmerFred.com or the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And we'll get that started right after the news here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Currently 90 degrees in Sacramento. Heat advisory in effect until 8 o'clock tonight. Work early. Work smart. Limit your outdoor exposure. Take breaks, go inside, get into some air conditioning, 
And don't think rafting down the river uh, is going to solve your problems mm-hmm. because, uh, A, you're going to get hot in the raft, and, B, if you decide to uh, jump into the water, the water is probably 35, 40 degrees or so because it's snowmelt, and you're increasing the risk for hypothermia and water rescues. It's probably a little warmer than that, but not by Every much. Every time he gets down here, he is. Yeah, yeah. but still, um, be careful out there today. Walk slowly through your garden at dusk. That's what I like to do in this weather. And the older we get, the easier that is to do. <laughs> yes. All right. Don Shore is here from Redwood Barn Nursery in Davis. John in Fallbrook, welcome to Get Growing. Hey. Hello, Fred. How's, how's the there. weather in Fallbrook? Oh, um, uh, overcast right now, uh, probably 78 degrees with about a 65% humidity. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like San Diego. Yeah. It's a nice That's area. actually more humid than normal. And uh, it was in the... Mid-80s yesterday, I think 84, but still we had a little bit of sprinkles, and then the sun come out, and it got pretty humid. Yeah. I hope you can handle That's it. Fallbrook. There you go. It's great avocado country down there. Oh, I can't seem to pick them all quick enough. <laughs> well, there's a problem one, A problem one. to have, yes. J- John calls us on a regular basis to brag. <laughs> About his avocados, yes. 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 <laughs> so, I, yeah. didn't bring, I didn't bring them up today. Yeah. All right, good. What are you bringing up? Hydrangeas. I've got a couple hydrangeas in, in large pots, and uh, I cut them back in the fall when they all died back, and they're growing great now. But if I'm going to trim off the dead blossoms, how would I do that? Uh, with shears? Where Where to, I think, is his oh, question. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. How far back do you cut? Do you deadhead your hydrangeas? I will cut them. It depends on the variety. That's now, right. There's a lot of new ones, yeah, so let's pretend a, they're older ones. Okay. John, are we talking about an older variety hydrangea here? Come on, Fred. you had them. You had them for a while, or time well. Here's the question: How big? Are, how big do they get when they're blooming? Um, they are about a nine inch, eight or nine inch. The flower, di- okay. Okay, and the plant gets yeah. how big? Is it a big sprawling plant, or is it a tight growing? Well, remember, plant? it's in a container. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I would, if I were to say, it would be a tight growing. So some of these new ones, like the Endless Summer series, mm-hmm. the City Line series, they stay very tight. Right. Yeah. And what we also like about them is that they keep blooming. Yeah. So you basically just go down and take off that They bloom spent, on new wood. They do. Mm-hmm. They cut off that spent blossom to the nearest good-looking buds you can. Mm-hmm. You don't cut them back that hard. But the old ones your grandmother grew were such sprawling, floppy plants that people yeah. took them back harder after the bloom. Yeah, I w- used to prune them all the way back down to where there were just two or four buds showing. Right. Those are the old, old school. But yeah. these newer ones, you just kind of carefully deadhead them is almost like you do your your annual flowers mm-hmm. take them back to where there's a good point for them to grow they'll flush out and give you another bloom that's and, the key and thing. john you're doing it at the right time of the year too if you cut them back in the fall as those flowers fade that's the best time to do it because uh, basically you know where the flowers were mm-hmm. and you know uh, how far back to cut it well, actually it pretty much died all back there was just not much growth or activity in the winter and fall right. so the dormant, I, I yeah. took them way back i thought i'd lost them this was this my second year and now they're just going crazy. no they they're you're not going to lose them in southern california yeah. i think yeah. you know where the greatest reference for hydrangea information is on the internet on a site called hydrangeas hydrangeas.com hydrangeas hydrangeas.com yes okay. it gives you all the pruning information because it's a complicated group it's like there's so many different kinds mm-hmm. there's the old ones that you would only prune at a certain time the newer ones but the main thing is these new ones are kind of foolproof you can just kind of deadhead them the way you would other flowering plants and they'll flush out and bloom again such as the endless summer variety right endless summer and the city line series and some of the others they have really taken over the trade because Mm -hmm. they they're so easy but the blooms aren't as dramatic as the old ones they're not as big as as grandma's yeah Yeah. these are pretty dramatic and and i have proven that they're pretty much foolproof 
<laughs> well, we all have, yes, yes. Yeah. As I like to say, roses are the most forgiving plant in nature, and hydrangeas okay. are a close second. I, I have to agree 100%. Speaking of roses, do they have a, a, a miniature rose that's red? Yes. Oh, yeah. well, one of the best-known miniature roses in the world is Starina, which is one of the highest-rated roses out there, and it is a red. It looks like a classic hybrid tea on a miniature form. But, yeah, there's lots of good miniature red roses, but that's a good one to look for. Couple, Starina. I got pink and yellow, but I yeah. didn't know if I could find a red. Yeah, one of the best-rated best, best rated roses there is. I'm sure Baldo will weigh in. Now, what's your favorite uh, miniature rose, Baldo? We'll be hearing from you shortly. Okay. He'll probably say gourmet popcorn. <laughs> we'll red, see. favorite miniature oh, red rose. Miniature no, red. Starina yeah. has been around for a long time, yeah. and it's a classic. Yeah. One that you can find pretty okay. easily. Okay. Well, thank you, fellas. You have a great day. And, All right. Uh, cool. Huh? Enjoy that muggy. Right, enjoy that muggy weather in Fallbrook. Yeah, yeah. we'll and enjoy the muggy fun. weather here. Yeah. All right. Thanks for calling. Yeah, Let's... they're getting they're getting a lot of moon, monsoon air spilling over there into San Diego. So yes, let me repeat that. Hydrangeas, hydrangeas dot com. More than you yeah. thought possible to know about hydrangeas. The monsoon season is uh, typically July and August mm-hmm. in Arizona, uh, Baja, and Southern California. Yeah. And as long as I've lived here, I, I kept a, a weather journal when I first moved here, and I found it a little while ago from 1980, uh, handwritten before the internet, of course, yeah. pre-internet days. In August of that year, I, we had two weeks of sort of overcast, hot, muggy weather where mm-hmm. we were having this kind of thing where it's spilling up over Northern California. And we do get it. We we are fortunate in that it usually doesn't last two weeks. That was right. memorable. Usually the Delta breeze kicks back in. And according to the weather forecast, it looks like tomorrow it'll be back and we'll be back to our warm, hot days, mm-hmm. cooler nights, much more pleasant weather. Allegedly, the wind direction is changing tonight from north to the southwest, that's and that's, we that's the Delta see. Breeze. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Darcy writes in and says, I planted a passion flower as a privacy screen. Mm. It's awesome, but it's a monster to keep in check. Yes. Darcy says, I noticed it was fruiting, so I waited until it softened with great anticipation. Have either of you ever tasted a passion fruit? Sadly, it was sour tart and Many of the ornamental passifloras, mm-hmm. passion flowers, set fruit that is not edible. I mean, it's edible. Is it poisonous? It. No, it's, okay. so it's not palatable. That's the, I, there's, a, right. there's a range of edible to, I mean, birds like them. But one came up on our fence at our garden center, and uh, it has spread down the garden, the fence. We've let it go. It is the one that's attracting the Gulf fritillary butterfly, so we're happy to see that. And it set all these egg-shaped fruit that are bright orange, and people keep asking about them. They're beginning to split open. And we've sampled them. Yeah, they're tart. They're never going to sweeten up. Yeah. If you want a passion fruit, you plant Passiflora edulis, and you plant one of the cultivars of that that's grown for the fruit, and you be prepared to protect that in the winter because none of them is particularly hardy here. They need to be in a sheltered location. If you go to my business website, shameless plug, redwoodbarn.com, I have an article on Passifloras there, which is a chart that shows which ones have edible fruit. And most of them are too tender for us to reliably grow outside here without some shelter in the wintertime. But a lot of them that are ornamental, like the ones that take over your yard, mm-hmm. will set fruit. The birds will enjoy it, and you will find it's not terribly tasty. Said the guy from San Diego. Yeah. All right. Down there, they, they do. Yeah, exactly. The guy yeah. in Fallbrook, you should be planting passion fruit. Yeah, <laughs> or growing a poinsettia tree. Yeah. Well, that's what we did with them down there growing up in La Jolla when the poinsettias were done we just stick them out in the garden they turn into oh, large yeah, shrubs yeah. no I know yeah. we, growing up in North Hollywood we mm-hmm. did the same thing and, and eventually they took over as a weed pretty much yeah, yeah. it's an uh, interesting life alright uh, there's a garden grappler coming up in a few minutes and um, it'll be a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Price closet so there is a clue available 
at farmerfred.com. Mm. Just click on the link that says a clue for the garden grappler under today's guest list. And um, at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, there is also a clue available as well. So that'll help you uh, come 11 o'clock or so when we will delve into the garden grappler here. And it should be, uh, the answer may be right out your window. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Just walk around and see what people are really putting out in their gardens. Now, we mentioned, getting back to a previous topic, citrus mm-hmm. and the problems with citrus. And there's some confusion out there because right about now, we start to get a pest on citrus. It's very noticeable. The citrus leaf miner. Right. Which doesn't have any connection to our previous discussion at all. Of Asian citrus Asian citrus psyllid or HLB virus or any of that. It showed up about, I think it's been about five years now. Mm-hmm. It showed up in the valley. A little bit longer than that. Well, yeah. I was in Southern California before yeah, it moved, was here, like most things. Right. Moved up to Northern California like yeah. you and I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it looks like someone is making train tracks in the leaf. I mean, right. it's a leaf miner like all the traditional yeah, leaf miners. And mm-hmm. it goes to the end of the leaf and out pops a little larva, which then drops down, pupates, becomes a moth, comes back up does it again and again and again. And apparently they have anywhere from eight to 10 generations during the course of a summer here. They don't affect the flowers. They don't affect the fruit. Those are usually the key things I want to say first. They get in the leaves. They cause a little damage to the leaves. It's cosmetic. It isn't even really inhibiting the plant's ability to photosynthesize. They don't get into the fruit. They don't affect the flowers. So it's a problem only in the sense that it makes the leaf kind of unsightly. And it can get, every tree I look at usually has it by the end of the summer. But there is really no need to treat for this. There's no need to spray, although some some people are doing so. I love how you're cutting into your own sales. Well, I mean, I, just, I don't want people, I'd rather sell you a plant than a bottle of pesticide any yeah. day. All right. Yeah. And, and, and the one thing that's working pretty well is spinosad. But you think about the number of generations we're talking about here. Yeah. So if you're going to do it's that, not worth it. it'll sometime in July is when you start. That's why I mentioned it. I'm sure the first ones will show up sometime in the next week or so. And in the Bay Area, I hear listeners there know that the lemons are getting pretty badly hit by this. It starts earlier in the season mm-hmm. and it goes longer. So they're getting to the point where they're spraying because they're afraid the plants are actually being stressed by it. Is it on the newer foliage or the older foliage? Only the new foliage because it can only get into the new soft tissue. It can't get into the older leaves. So So once you get... This is a good argument then for not heavily fertilizing your uh, citrus with nitrogen. Late in the season, especially. Yeah, Yeah, try to promote steady, even growth, not big flushes of tender new growth. And I've seen it on every kind of citrus. They don't appear to be, you know, uh, no no host host specificity to it. Basically live with it and don't cut the leaves off because that leaf is still photosynthesizing. Still fine. Yeah, And Mm -hmm. and if you want to spray, I mean, spin Spinosad is out there, and you can certainly use it, but I'm just trying to think how many times you would have to do it to, to try and get any kind of control. You didn't use the deadly I word. I am amazed. Oh, the, uh, the systemic, well, <laughs> yes. that's what they're doing commercially. There's a reason the commercial growers have no problem with this plant, with this particular pest, yeah. but it's not related to the disease problem. And there's right. also, by the way, a peel miner, which I've seen twice, mm-hmm. once on one of my own oranges, where it's doing the same thing, just squiggling around in the peel. And that's it. Doesn't get into the flesh. Doesn't get into. Doesn't affect any part that you eat. So once again, we don't particularly worry about it. Exactly. You've got other things to worry about. Folks. Again, yes. Yeah. Let's, let's focus. I'd, again, I'd rather sell you some nice zinnias than a bottle of pesticide. There you go. All right. That's Don Shore. Okay. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll delve into more of your questions at five seven six fifteen seventy eight here in the nine one six or eight six six three three one eight two five five. Email. Email. Email, send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSDE.